Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Yes, we are back, and we've got Kim and David from Sweet Baby Inc. And we—I was just looking at some of their games. There's uh, uh, Sable, that's amazing. And what was the other one we were just talking about? Part two. What was Alan it? Alan Wake Two. Alan Wake Two. Those are the games they worked on. That's awesome. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Sweet Baby Inc. story, and I will back out and take it away. Thank you. Okay. Hello. Um, yeah, we're here to talk about Sweet Baby Inc., our narrative development company, and uh, kind of tell you a little bit about how we came to be, what we do, and kind of how we got to here with a hope of kind of talking through our, our work methods, our strategy, and our vision, and kind of how it's gotten us to this point as a kind of unusual company. So, to start out with, um, we just wanted to answer the question, who is Sweet Baby Inc? And have you meet the baby, which may look surprisingly like a large collection of adults. Um, so Sweet Baby begins with kind of our, our, our vision and our mi mission. We are a fully self-funded narrative consulting company and narrative development company. And our goal overall is to tell better stories. We want to make stories in games better we want to tell them better we want to help teams understand you know the, the the complexities of narrative design and how they can tell better stories and we also want to make them more innovative more inclusive as kind of part of that uh, we started off in 2018 after both uh, both of us as co-founders did a bunch of years in the industry that we'll talk about a little bit later um, and we have grown to be a team of, of 16 peoples from starting at three in 2018. Um, we really work hard to not only do the work in, uh, that we do in narrative and in storytelling, but also to help marginalized talent break into the industry, sustain careers in the industry, and navigate the industry because it's a, it's a very, very challenging one. And as, as creative workers, we're always very conscious of how much of our humanity is involved in these kinds of these, these, these kinds of work and, and how much that needs protection if we're going to be able to do the best kind of work. So there's a lot of different stuff that we're, we're tackling with an aim to kind of change the way we think about narrative development and change narrative development moving forward. Um, I'll introduce myself first and then hand over to, to David. Uh, I am Kim Belair. Um, I'm a writer and a narrative designer, a narrative director and, and team lead of, of Lots of different titles that I wear, but they're all underneath CEO of Sweet Baby Inc. right now. Um, my prior experience, I, I worked at uh, Ubisoft. I worked at uh, another company after that um, and was always internal. But in 2018, kind of made the decision to both leave games and, and not leave games, leave in working internally in games and kind of start my own thing and see if I could kind of do the creative work and work with games without being in that same position. Uh, David? Yeah, hi, I'm David. I, uh, I'm the CEO of uh, Sweet Baby Inc. Um, much like Kim, I worked at uh, Ubisoft and, uh, and you know, IDOS before that. Uh, a, lot of a lot of time in, in games marketing. Um, and after we uh, met on a project together and uh, Kim had this great project of like leaving uh, internal uh, gigs and sort of fun fun founding this company that has, uh, that is aiming to work 
differently as an external partner uh, for all these uh, these wonderful game projects, uh, such as the leap and uh, become a COO. Uh, so since then, you know, uh, COO is sort of the uh, the abbreviation of like the 15 hats I wear every day at work. Uh, so it goes from, you know, narrative design to creative direction to production and everything in between. Uh, but yeah, you know, I worked on uh, Sleeping Dogs, Davis Sex, Assassin's, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry. Uh, and since then, since since Sweet Baby, uh, you know, worked on Sable and made a bunch of games for Playdate, for Panic. Uh, a bunch, a bunch of other titles. We'll go through all of that later. Yeah. That's, that's, that's me. We also, of course, work um, with a phenomenal team of a variety of different people. Um, it's a, I, I, we think it's a really, really unique team. And I, and obviously all teams are unique in that way. And I think what we really pride ourselves on is, is having a, a really, truly multidisciplinary crew of creatives from across different industries. We have writers, authors, narrative designers, uh, producers, at least one chef who also does narrative design with us, um, some artists. and. It's, it's really important for, for us to be thinking about that and, and to think about how we approach that. Um, and we really, really value the fact that like all these different people working together are, are able to work as a team on many, many different projects, see different challenges, solve them together. And as such, everyone, I think, on this team, beyond just you know the sweet baby of it all, are becoming kind of industry leaders and 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 really powerful thinkers and, and, and workers in their own right. And together we have worked on just kind of give a sense of it, like a ton of different projects. Uh, some of our clients um, are pictured on the next slide. Um, here we've worked with we just worked with a lot of different people in a lot of different capacities. Uh, we do everything from kind of script writing to narrative direction to sensitivity and, and representational and inclusive reading. Um, we do kind of story punch-ups, script doctoring, whatever touches story, we'll do it. And we've done it for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Um, but I think before we kind of start talking about the story of us, um, in order to kind of contextualize it and make it relevant slash interesting, um, let's just talk through what it is that we do and and how we we do it right now and then we'll go through kind of our history and the learnings that we've had as a kind of unique right now team moving through an industry that is always that is always full of chaos um right so as kim said uh, contextualizing what we do right now every day uh and that goes from like services we offer all the way to like Things we do that are like, I don't know. If if company if companies could have soft skills, we'll go through ours and and kind of talk through like the different ways we try to operate, um, in in this industry that has you know many different ways of operating with it. Uh, so the first thing we do is obviously we have services. Uh, we're uh, we call it a narrative development company. So uh, of all the terms we, we we could have come up with, I think this is the one that encompasses everything we do. We do everything that we can touch on everything that like has to do with narrative within development of games. Uh, we don't necessarily always plug into only the narrative team. We sometimes are the narrative team, or sometimes we'll come and like work with designers to shore up some of their systems to be able to help narrative. Um, and so we, we we see every part of a game and we're able to, to talk with, uh, you know, artists and audio designers and game designers and system designers and economy designers to, 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 to figure out like how to better tell the story and and get the creative direction and the, uh, the the feeling of the game uh, better through all the things that they're all doing. Um, so obviously the first thing that we that that you think of when you hear all of that is narrative direction. That's a role we sometimes occupy on projects in you know AAA and or indie. Um, the way we work is a bit unique, and we'll go, we'll go through it later. But we never bring only one person to a project. It's not like you know Kim will be a narrative director on this project, and then the sixteen other people here don't do anything else, uh, we'll come to a project with, uh, oftentimes we'll start a project with everybody in the room, all 16 of us, so you can get as much perspective as you can, and then we'll build a team of the people who have the most affinity with the project, and they'll all work together as sort of a writer's room, plugging into a project and, and, and figuring out the best way to tackle it and to split tasks among themselves to kind of like arrive at the output of like one person or a couple of people but made from many different perspectives and skill sets, uh, which is you know really our strength. And so, when when we're the only narrative team on the project, and this is the kind of work we do, we kind of like it is sort of a narrative direction position that we occupy within a project. Um, the next two things: narrative design and script writing. 
tend to be something uh, that is mostly the, the regular project work that we do. Uh, people will come to us a couple of years or months or weeks or days before launch and go, hey, we have you know triggers to place. We have lines to write. Can you help us with that? And that's you know the the the, the usual like we are contract writers for the for the industry. Uh, we obviously take care of all of that stuff uh, in, in much of a much a similar way. Um, the next couple ones tend to happen more at the beginning of a, of, a, of a project. And we've been fortunate enough in the last couple of years to start onboarding on projects really early at the pre-prod phase. Uh, so we're able to do more, more brainstorming and narrative development, try to think of the story along with the people who are developing the systems, thinking about the concepts, thinking about how this is going to be expressed in game. Um, we've developed a world building pipeline uh, that is pretty different from what we see in the industry right now that tends to be focused way more on iteration and on finding the few the fewest possible answers that unlock the most possible things as opposed to obsessing uh, over a lot of uh, of lore details and waiting for them to be completely ready before you're able to move on to the next uh, phase so that's the kind of stuff that we do at the early stage and of course narrative production pipelines uh, i think uh, this is games and so everybody has spent a lot of energy uh solving different problems uh, start with the same problem, but started for their own project. And so we have a lot of like view on how different studios and different types of games structure their narrative production. We're able to come in and kind of say, hey, for this type of game, it's best to think of narrative this way and to wait for this moment to write these lines and for now to focus on these types of deliverables. Um, the next one we'll go over uh, a lot as we go through this presentation, but we obviously have a very diverse team who's super talented. Uh, we do a lot of work um to do some sensitivity consultations some representation consultations consultation, some cultural consultation uh with the complete aim being trying to give as much perspectives as possible to each game team uh, as to the subject matter they're representing and trying to give a voice to these uh to these consultants uh so, so that it's not looking at a list of red flags of like, oh, make sure you don't offend this and, 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 and do this badly. It's more, okay, this is what you could be doing if you leaned into this identity, if you leaned into this uh, to this inspiration. And, and you know, for people of, of these backgrounds, of these uh, these identities, this is the kind of stuff that they would like to see and that they, 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 would, they would like to, uh, this is how they would like to see themselves represented on screen in a game and they've never seen it before. And so that's that kind of forms our thesis uh, for the company that like representation is is a form of innovation and that uh, it it is one of the greatest uh, sort of blue sky approaches to innovation that people aren't really thinking about right now. And finally, we do uh, game design consultation. We have a, a lot of talented game designers uh, on our team as well who are able to kind of go in and, and, and figure out uh, how a game is 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 functioning and how it could be improved um, to kind of match the goals of the project um so that was services now let's go to soft skills uh what we what that what happens with like do we, working on 70 projects at all these different types of levels from like writing lines to narrative direction to doing sensitivity consultation is that we have seen a lot of studios do a lot of different things that all amount to doing the same amount of things because they're you know everybody's trying to ship a video game but they're all going about it differently uh we have a really broad perspective on the industry's narrative trends uh, and innovations, and we have seen like the best practices for some of the world's best studios, uh, and that's something that like we talk about internally too a lot. Is how do we kind of like take the best from everybody, and how they function through things, and and more more importantly, how do we avoid running into some mistakes that we see a lot of people running through? There's a lot of like closed circuits in the, in the industry. People don't necessarily share. Oh, we run into this problem because there's like you know. Uh, games are being marketed, you don't want to say that it was tough to make the game necessarily. But what that means is that you you, you join a project and you don't you're not necessarily able to speak to uh, a way you shouldn't be doing things uh, that you know isn't going to work. Uh, and so what we try to do is bring some of that expertise, bring some of that perspective from different projects and and uh, on one side, try to make the pipeline as smooth as possible. And on the other side, try to identify potential problems in the pipeline. Uh, and, and like it says on the slide, gives us a lot of tips and tricks that we're able to bring uh, to the table. Um, the other soft skill that we do a lot of is, is we try to uh, build a community from all the people we've worked with. And that's something that I think is also inherent to us not working internally at a studio. Um, I think, like I said before, game studios tend to be pretty insular. People 
want to stick together and close together and not share anything outside. Uh, and there's very few uh, groups of people who are talking to each other about facing similar challenges or facing similar hardships sometimes and being able to like find kinship and find community in in a broader game dev sense and so we do a lot of effort to like put some of the people that we've met together uh, that we've met put them together in the same room just so they can talk and meet each other and get some like you know inspiration or perspective or or even solutions from from those meetings uh you know we'll think like we'll, we'll go on a project and go like oh that person like reminds me so much of this other person that it'd be great if they met well we actually follow through on this and make sure people create connections and create a community um in this industry a bevy of babies as it says on the slide um Kim talked about it briefly but yes we have a very very diverse team and we believe that diversity is um one of the best vectors for innovation in the games industry that people too often ignore um like I said before, we try to be additive in our approach. So we don't show up to a project and say, hey, these are all the problems. You're going to mess up if you do all these things this way. What that ends up doing is oftentimes that we'll sand it down and make something inoffensive and oftentimes, honestly, kind of boring um, and and kind of like uh, too smooth. And so instead, we try to put it, we try to go about it from an additive perspective where uh, we want to bring joy to the player. If you're if you're a player from from a marginalized background and you see some you see yourself represented accurately on screen and you see a part of yourself that you've never seen on a screen, you'll get tremendous joy from that. And that's something that like that's the same kind of goal that you could might want from like a design, uh, you know, a game design system, uh, which also brings joy to the player. It's the same sort of like output, but from a very different discipline. Um, yeah, we believe that game stories as they are now have lots of room to evolve and change, and we're at the front, the forefront of like making stories more diverse and and helping push these boundaries forward. Uh, it's 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 all meaningful growth for us. Um, throughout all of this, we also do a lot of outreach, and so Kim mentioned it earlier. We we are trying to to, to set the stage for the next generation of, of game developers who are going to join this industry after. After us, uh, you know, we both have you know a combined twenty plus years in the, the games industry. We're trying to make sure that like people who enter this industry are more equipped to do it correctly and also have uh, more doors open to them, and hopefully don't enter an industry that that can be toxic and can be uh, tough for them. Uh, so what we do for that is we do a lot of we spend a lot of personal time meeting with new developers, uh, meeting with people who are trying to break into the industry, meeting with people who are finishing game programs at universities. Talk, sort of like just providing a, a venue to talk with somebody who has experience who works in the games industry. Uh, we see a lot of like, you know, uh, paid mentorship programs out there. And, you know, I'm sure there's like a lot of really good learnings to get from that. But we feel like the access to just talking to someone and asking questions is not uh, not open enough. And we like to provide that. So through this, we've met a, a real um, assortment of, of, of amazing talent, uh, people who are trying to break into the industry. Sometimes we also even talk to people who are in the industry and don't really have a window to talk to someone to or to, or to sometimes it's just needs you know, venting or, or being heard, right? Um, so we do, through these talks, we do portfolio reviews, workshops, uh, we do some Q and A's, we've done some mentorship networking, we've done some narrative tutorials. Uh, it's always free and it's as accessible as we can, as we can make it. Uh, and we're super proud of, be, of having you been able to uh talk people through some of these uh these moments and finally we've also done development so we're primarily a contracting company uh but we've spent a lot of uh, a lot of time over the past uh five years building our own games uh we were fortunate enough to be able to uh work with panic on four playdate games uh if you're not aware the playdate is uh, i'm sure you on screen now is this uh, it's a little device with a, with a crank um that was launched a couple of years ago, I believe. Uh, so we we made our first game for the playdate, and it went pretty well. Uh, we were able to uh, talk to Panic and convince them to build a program where we would be able to build two more games, Red Dog and Real Steel, uh, with mostly first-time devs being paired with mentors, and that went really, really well. Uh, we were able to sort of ship two games in in the span of six months. It was a lot of people's first video game ever shipped, uh, and it was a re it was a good way for us to kind of put a put our money where our talk is right to to say we 
we want to set up the next generation of game devs and giving them an opportunity to actually ship a video game with Panic with us and put that on their CVs and get be able to leverage that into an opportunity at some point. Uh, and we just did that again with uh, with uh, Quantum Phantom Basketball, which is a game we've launched uh, a month ago now. Um, the developer was a first-time creative director who came from the arts, uh, the museum side of things. And we were paired with him to help him bring his vision to life with our production process processes. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's what we do on the other side. I think my screen went blank. blank. I'm not sure if uh, you can still see. It did go blank. Okay, is it back? No. Should I <laughs> do what you want? Perfect. Okay. Okay. We're sorry. Tech issues. So anyway, I'm done. I'm done talking. It's skin turn. So <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take it from here. Um, yeah. So with that kind of explained and and, and a sense of our services and, and and what we're doing and how we're doing it, kind of given, I just want to take us through the story of Sweet Baby, both our origin and kind of where we're at today and, and where we've been, because I think that. In addition to kind of all the stuff that we do, the more interesting part I think is why we do it, and and the part that I think I want other people to understand and 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 to you know to work towards is yeah is is the reasoning because the shape of our company and 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 the intent of our company is very very specific in terms of narrative and and, and that. But to me, like the the framework and the thinking behind it is is applicable to a lot of different things, and I think fits into a lot of different ways of thinking. But um, to begin, I'll start a, a very long time ago, eons ago, well, maybe a lifetime uh, in 2018, a time we all barely remember. Um, so to kind of give you, yeah, the, the origin story, I'll, I'll, I'll give it from my own perspective is that um, I, I started out in the industry in 2013 and being a being a black woman in, in, in the industry, being a marginalized person in, in, in these spaces has not always been has not always been easy. In fact, it's been downright abusive at times. And I'm sure that no one in this room is, is, is any has has is, is surprised to hear that. But there is so much abuse, so much toxicity, so much much awfulness in the industry. And 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 that was how I kind of came through it for the first several years of my career. But but at the same time, what I want to say is that like I learned a tremendous amount. Um, I first started it for five years in AAA. I worked on Assassin's Creed, on Far Cry, on a couple of games at Ubisoft. And that was tough. I've talked about that very publicly. I've talked about that in a number of forums. And the thing that, that always gets me is that while it was hard and, and, and dealing with all of that stuff is always difficult, it was also hugely informative. And, and it was beautiful still to work with teams of creative to make something that matters to us and to get something out in the world and experience it. The joy of making games and telling stories is something that for me is, is has not been like, you know, in, in any way separable from the experience of, of how we make them. And after years and all of, 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 of this, and I finally left to go to um, a, you know, a transmedia company. It was also working in games. And there we had a very, very unusual role. Uh, David actually joined me after a few months at this company. And we ended up working together on this transmedia project that required us to essentially over five years write a story that would be told across 15 to 20 different pieces of media. And we had to do all of that in about eight months together. And while we were working on that, that was a role that while again, really not a, a, an easy or pleasant place to work, um, made me realize something. And it was that working with very different teams, sometimes in film, in, in, in television, in podcasts, in books, in all of these different arenas, we started to see a pattern forming. And that pattern was simply that like, people who were easy to work with, people who were kind and compassionate, who saw the humanity in the work that we do, it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, they're, they're better to work with. The productions were smoother, the products were better, and things actually came to exist from those things. And I think there's this myth in the game. In fact, I know there's this myth in the games industry, and, and I hope that it's dying now, where people will go like, this is a pressure cooker, but it makes the best stuff. And and you know, if you, if you, if you really put a lot of pressure, it turns coal into diamonds. And I think that, while we work together with so many different teams, seeing so many different projects and trying to like get them together, it was very clear that that wasn't the case because we saw that like the pressure cooker was just creating burnout. It was just creating misery. And as much as we want to pretend in a lot of corporate spheres that production plans and, 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 and financial realities are the, the framework of real game design, production plans are made of and by people. 
And so when people are not happy, when people are being abused, when people are, are, are being disempowered, it's not something that we can now just drag everybody through. And you start to see things fall apart very, very quickly. And if that was true, then it meant that we didn't have to work this way and we could kind of think differently. But the real thought I think that we first had was simply just like, we don't want to work like that anymore. And what that means for us, at least, was we love what we do. We love telling stories. We love telling interactive stories. We love working in games, but we don't want it to be a space where we have to accept a certain amount of abuse, toxicity, problems, or, or prejudice just to be able to do that, right? There's this thing that for me exists in the games industry where it's seen as, as such a dream job that people go, well, you're, lucky, you're so lucky to be in it that you should take any treatment that we, that we offer you because somebody else is going to come and take your place. And for me, that that's just not sustainable personally, and I don't think it's sustainable professionally, and I don't think it's sustainable for us as an industry, and I think we're seeing the results of that now. But what it made us do was decide to create a, a, a new company, and the company's name, Sweet Baby Inc., uh, is actually derived from the fact that we worked with a lot of different teams in, in previous times. And every time we worked with someone who we really vibed with, or we really felt like, okay, this is really, really going well, we would go like, wow, they were such sweet babies. And when we started Sweet Baby, we said, we only want to work with sweet babies. And obviously that's something that is always gonna be a challenge, always gonna be a changing and, and, and evolving thing. But to me, it's, it's an ethos that really is important, which is we wanna work with people who care about people and care about what they're doing. And remember that the art is, is more important than the product, but the product can never be more important than the people. And I think that that's, that's a core of our beliefs. And in about 2019, um, I put this presentation together with, with help from, from David, and it was called Representation as Innovation. And what that meant was essentially like, I, I was very t tired, I'm still tired of the way that we treat sensitivity and inclusion as kind of like aside from development. We go like, okay, well, hey, can you read this story and tell me if it's offensive to X, Y, or Z group? And for me, when I, when I read a story, I'm not going like, well, this story is just magically offensive. It's something in the story is making this offensive. Something in the story is, is, is not ringing true. And often what it is for me is that like, speaking as a marginalized person, it's not that I'm, that I'm looking at a portrayal of myself and going, oh, that's offensive, I can't see it. It's creating instead ludonarrative dissonance where I'm looking at this and I'm going, that's not me, that's not real. And so I wanted to start thinking about diversity, not as something that's a nice to have, but as a form of narrative innovation. Seeing new perspectives, understanding new stories, telling new stories is a form of narrative innovation that we need to be paying attention to. And because it's gotten wrapped up in this idea of you know, sensitivity, people are very, very scared of it. People are scared of this, of this idea and they think like it has to be two separate things. We can't interrupt the storytelling, but frankly, storytelling is all we have. So that was the talk that I gave at GDC. And the response was very, very positive because I think that I was speaking a lot, admittedly, it was in the advocacy track. So I was, I was preaching to a bit of a choir of, of people who want, I think, this kind of thinking. But it really became a foundational property of what Sweet Baby would be. And so we started out in our first year as, as just kind of three people looking, going like, okay, we got to make, got to get some contracts. We just need to get contract. The idea was, for me at least at the beginning, like I was just going to go freelance and I said, okay, well, what if we took contracts on together and shared them and, 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 and figured it out together? And then we pulled that money and we made a salary out of it and we kind of did that for a long time. So in the first year, um, we first thought like, okay, well, if, if each of us got a contract, if we had a couple of contracts, we'd probably figure it out. But we ended up getting, in fact, six different projects at the same time. Um, and these were across like, in addition to games, kind of like we were also in interactive video in podcasts and marketing materials and comic books, just kind of anything that we could find new techniques of, of storytelling in. Um, and then by the end of this first year, we started also realizing like, okay, this is, this is, is working out kind of, and, and we've got a little bit of extra work. And I had been called back at one point to um, work on this since canceled uh, Afrofuturist project. And when I went, to kind of talk to, about working with the team, what I heard was like, okay, we've got an Afrofuturist project, we've got an all white writing team, Kim, can you help? And my answer was like, well, 
what happened to sourcing black writers for something like this? And the answer that was given to me was just like, well, we met some great black writers, but they didn't have the experience. They had all the talent, but not the experience in games. And so what I said was, well, would it be possible if, since we have the experience in games, could we take on some some writers as a as, a, as subcontractors? Because essentially, what the client is looking for is authentic and, and representational work, and what these writers are looking for is experience on a job. And that's something I think we can provide. And so we began once we had that kind of extra space and then and those extra contracts to start sharing the, the I, say, I say quote unquote wealth because it was, you know, we were still working on smaller contracts at the time, but we started bringing in folks who deserved a shot at it and who otherwise the studios might not bring in, but whose talent we could really, really showcase and, and who that whose talent we could find a place for in the industry. And what the success of kind of that initial year showed us was like, hey, maybe we don't have to work like that anymore. And with that realization, I think it made us go, okay. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Could this work? It felt, I'll, I'll say it felt like a grift. It felt a little bit like, you know, we got to work on things and see the insides of, of, of games and work on pipelines without having to deal with the same kinds of stuff we were dealing with and getting a completely new perspective, getting to work with different teams, getting all of a sudden, instead of seeing like a few, a few pipelines, getting to see a ton. And it was really, really helpful uh, leading into 2019 and early 2020, which unfortunately brought us to the year we all remember. Um, but 2020, I think, was a defining year for us in a lot of ways. And it is not, it is, it is partially, I believe, or, or I, I can assert, because of everything that was going wrong and, and going right, I think, at the time. Um, pen, like the pandemic was, was going strong at, in, in, in 2020. And there's a confluence between that and Me Too accusations and and outings happening throughout the games industry if, if folks remember that and then also there was the the black lives matter and the, the the marches that were taking place as a part of that and the protests and i think the confluence of those things created a space where i think people were really not sure what to do it was a reality that now everyone was looking at that like hey things aren't working we're not treating people fairly how do we do that and how do we make games better and what I started to see was a lot of different people, to their credit, taking a stand, right? We saw a lot of people saying, okay, we're going to get rid of a lot of the called out Me Too folks who now often have found other jobs. We had a lot of people who were saying, hey, we're going to give uh, portfolio reviews to Black writers. We really want to do that. And we also had you know, places going, okay, we're going to put this fund here, even if they don't necessarily have a plan for it. And what I felt in that was kind of specifically around portfolio reviews, because at the time we're sitting there as a narrative development company and we're going, how do we help? How do we do something about this? How do we help this cause even a little bit, especially as people who, who, who deal with it ourselves for a lot of our team. And the thought that we ended up having was, was around portfolio reviews because we were like, okay, well, well, maybe we'll do that. But the problem with portfolio reviews to me is that it assumes that the games industry is a meritocracy. It assumes that when you have a marginalized writer coming with a portfolio, what they need is a portfolio review to make sure their portfolio is good. But what happens when we assume instead that it's not a meritocracy, that there are that there is racism, that there is sexism, that there is homophobia, there's just transphobia, and that that means that someone can have a great portfolio and still not get access to the job that they deserve. 
the answer that is, is, is one obviously that we're still working on, but at the time what we wanted to do was just talk find out what the problems were and kind of hear from people. So we created an email called talk at sweetbabyink.com. And what that was, was just our effort to say, hey, what do you need? Especially if you're if you're a new or a marginalized developer, what actual need do you have right now? And we found that while there were some people who absolutely needed portfolio reviews from us, there were others who just wanted to talk. There were others who just said, hey, I've never gotten to talk to a game dev and I just want to know if this is even an industry for me but I, I don't know how to access that. People who wanted to understand like how to, how to, to, to get in, people who, wanted, people who had worked for years in the industry also, going like, hey, I'm being mistreated. How do I get around that? How do I, how do I find solidarity with other people and, and actually manage it? And through that, we were able to, I think, like we're not gonna solve all the problems of the industry. We were able to kind of meet people and, and start understanding better what the actual issues are that we we're facing as, as developers. And, we met a lot of new friends, new clients during that time because I think it was a time of, of real exploration for us. And, it, and that little door was kind of open to, to start thinking like, hey, we need to start thinking differently about the, the stories that we're telling and, and the people that we're working with. And that was very, very, I think, helpful for us kind of finding our footing here. Uh, at the same time, we also created, as, as, as David mentioned earlier, our first Playdate game. So it was a, it was a very busy year. But it led to us kind of understanding what we can do and how we can do it. And I think just in talking to this amount of people and hearing the grievances, hearing the realities of it, like the thought that we came away with was simply like, hey, we don't have to work like that, but also like no one should work like that. No one should work the way that we're, that, that we're working because it isn't working. People are not being treated well. Productions are, are, are getting delayed or getting, are, are getting broken up by these kinds of strifes, and we needed to start thinking differently. So in year three, we were, we were kind of working a little bit more and, and focusing on, okay, well, now we've gotten all those learnings, we've, we've met those people, how do we actually build with those people? So what that looked like was the two Playdate games that we got, which allowed us to get a, a lot of folks who had actually talked to us from Talk at Sweet Baby Inc. and say, hey, we now have a role for you. We have a place for you to work on your first game and we have mentors who are willing to do it. So that was one way that we were able to actually start actioning a lot of the feelings that we had. But as we did that, we also started to grow as a team because some of the folks we had been working with collaboratively uh, just kind of on contract were really fantastic. And we said, okay, let's let's do this because I think the greater value that we that we can bring and that we can have as as, as a group is that beyond just the diversity of it, it's so rare in this industry to be able to keep a room together, to be able to say, okay, we're, we're, we're five writers working on a project together, and we probably will never work on another one again unless we all stay at this one company. And to me, that is, is heartbreaking because it means that like the pole of, of life, of capitalism, of whatever it is, is going to constantly separate creative partners and creative teams and people who work really beautifully together. And for me, the, the role of Sweet Baby in building a community and finding new people is we have the chance to be a writer's room that actually grows together, that actually has reps and, and is able to kind of repeat things, to learn from their mistakes, to learn from their victories, to kind of figure things out. And within that space in our, in our, in our third year, as we grew that, uh, we also took on production help because we started, we started to quickly realize that uh, while a team of writers is fantastic to have, uh, we also need help from, from producers. We need to be able to kind of fit into um, other people's narrative pipelines. Because fortunately in, in this year, we also kind of, I think, became more successful and more long-term with some of our contracts. And we're starting to really, really fit into teams where we were less feeling like con just consultants and more feeling like we were kind of an embedded part of a lot of different game productions. Um, and I think that like in that year, the biggest thing for us was like, okay, we have to be thinking about our, our culture and, and maintaining our community and the power of our community within that space. And I think we, I think we largely did it. I think we largely created in, the, in this time, like a room of people who, whether you were new or, or very experienced, got to see so many different things, got to learn so many different things and got to bring their perspectives to so many places that they otherwise just wouldn't have been. And at the end of our, our, our third year, we said, okay, this is going really, really well. We have production, we have everything. And then we started to think, okay, we're at a place where 
we're working on a lot of different stuff. We're starting to, we were starting to get a little overwhelmed at, at certain times where we started to realize how many things we're working on. So we did two things. One, we got our first kind of senior talent after, after I think 16 different people, we finally hired uh, someone with uh, 25 years of experience to kind of help us lead our teams and, 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 and work. And I think that that's something that we had a lot of talk about and kind of figuring out, but for me, the secondary thing that we learned in this year was as a working writer's room who's always working together, as someone who's seeing a bunch of different projects, there comes a point where you have to learn to say no. We were saying a lot of yeses. And those yeses, I think, were valuable, especially as we grow. But we started to understand that, like, wait a second, this is working. This feels good. There are some contracts that don't feel good. Is that a failing on our part or is that sometimes just one, a bad fit with our model or a bad fit with our, our, our culture? And once we started kind of like sometimes quitting a project, sometimes saying, no, we're not willing to, to do this, became very, very empowering rather than scary because it was always us kind of reasserting our core idea that like, hey, if we're a team of writers and we're trying to build a place that feels good to work, if we are having a project that is making it feel bad to work, what are we doing? Because there's always gonna be the amount of, 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 of money you need to keep the lights on, right? That's always gonna be important. And you're always gonna to have to say yes to something maybe that you didn't wanna say yes to, but it's always about growing to a place where maybe you don't have to, because we want to keep reminding ourselves, even in this place, that there is a better way to work. And that reality for us, I think by year three was solid. It was no longer like, hey, I think it's a way, there's a better way to work. There was like, no, there is. And it's important for us to remember that and to think about it because as we went into year four, we started to realize that saying no to some parties and saying, saying hey, we can't do this anymore, or even like uh, for, for one very tense project, quitting on the spot, very terrified, knowing that that money would not come in, going, no, we can't do this because it's not treating our team well while it was scary for a bit, it started to realize that like we are now prioritizing and leaning into collaborations with partners who understand not only like the value that we bring to them, but the values that we have, who understand that we're not just coming in as a bunch of contract writers who you, you can mistreat in the same way that you might mistreat your own. We need to be maintained. We need to be thought about a little bit differently. And it took a, a, a number of years to kind of be able to assert ourselves in that way and to say like, no, it is worth working with us because we want to come to, to some kind of agreement on what we actually care about. And so our focus in, in, in our fourth year, I think, was really just about like, how do we understand our own values? How do we maintain them? And how do we hone our team skills and keep everybody together working hard? Because if we really want to get serious about the unique offering that we have, which is like, yeah, we're a writer's room who've worked on now about 70 projects we have so much collective knowledge we feel the way i always i always describe it is kind of like feeling like a little bit of a, a heist team like in a in in a fast and furious or an oceans movie where you're like okay i've seen this problem before i've seen this on project a and now i'm going to apply it to project x oh hey this this colleague you worked on project b can you come over here on project z and and and, and use that expertise and it started creating this space where like we really did feel and do feel like a collective more than just kind of a a, a writer's room and that i think is what has been really really important to us even as we're kind of we have to weather like industry contractions this industry is is wild it's it's the economy is is wild you're seeing so many things happening right now that still had to become our, our our guiding light because no matter how tempting it, it is sometimes, especially especially when we look at the accounting to go, okay, let's take something that could be damaging. We just can't do it because we have to maintain the integrity and we have to be thinking always about sustainability rather than growth. And and that is, I think, scary sometimes when it when it comes to to it, because sustainability is is hard and and growth is tempting when you are a uh, a a d developer and and also a an entrepreneur but here we are and then in our last year um this this year i'll i'll give you a sense of where we're at um we opened a uk entity not a studio um but the reason that we, that we begin with that is because the fifth year, I think, of Sweet Baby has been about kind of defining who we are and figuring out how we now take what we know we have and 
and maintain it and maintain the integrity of it, maintain the feeling of it, maintain the culture of it as the industry even changes. And one of the reasons we, so we opened up a UK entity, one to um, help better serve kind of our, our, our UK side clients and, and our European clients in general, but also because we want to work with more folks. And we also have two members of our team um, based in Europe, and we want to be able to give them the kinds of job security that we can't offer on on contract. And so that became kind of like a, a hey, we're, we're doing it. We're, 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 we're pretty much committing to this model. And it's led us to a place where now we're like, okay, we're seeing what five years of this has meant. And what it has meant is we're diversifying a little bit. We're able to kind of take care of better care of, of our employees. We're able to maintain our team. We're able to even diversify some of our work. Um, as, as David mentioned earlier, we did quantum phantom basketball. We're starting to make our own little games on the side. We've got some, we've got some other stuff that we're working on uh, that I, I can't talk about here, but we are. Um, and then an interesting thing is also happening for us this year. And I think it's, it's, a it's a mysterious time for a few reasons because games take many, many years to make. And because we're now in our fifth year, we have so many of the things that we've been working on for years finally coming out in, in this year. We have, in fact, in October, we have three games uh, launching um, Battle Shapers, Spider-Man 2, and Alan Wake 2. And those are games that we've been working on for for quite a long time. We worked on on ages ago, and now it's finally happening. So even the weird thing is, even though we've been working for such a long time since 2018, there are very few like bigger titles that we've actually have our our names on, and it's only starting now. At which point, I think that we are realizing, okay, now we're going to be stepping out a little bit into the world. Is that success? And 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 for us, I think the biggest and most important feeling that we have in this year that does feel like it's, it's kind of wrapping up very beautifully and, and, and very, in a very exciting way for us with, with upcoming launches and announcements and things like this, what does success look like? And to me, I'll be honest, success is our team relaxing more. If we have a, in a world where we are more successful to me, that doesn't mean that we work a lot more. It means that we might have, bigger or cooler contracts, but I hope that it means that we get more rest, that we get to have a little bit more clout and also the ability. And when I say clout, I don't mean like, wow, we're going to be swinging our power around. I mean, no, we're going to be able to say, hey, I think there's a better way to work and have some people listen to us and have some people understand that actually, no, 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 no we're bringing some best practices in. So when we're telling you we don't need to be doing X, Y, or Z at this moment, it's coming with a little bit of wisdom. And I, and I think that that's where we're at. We're at a place where our consultancy is, is going to be able to have a little bit more evidence behind it. And I'm mostly looking forward to trust and time. And I think for the future of, of Sweet Baby, what I really, really care about is thinking about, one, how do we buy time to focus on ourselves? Like if we are buying time with our success, what does that mean? How do we make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, our team, our, our, our way of thinking, the people in our outreach community? And then finally also, how do we turn this into something that is replicable for others? How do we turn this model and this way of working and kind of evangelize and advocate for it in a way that makes people believe that we can work differently? Because truly, if there's one thing that I, that I have learned is that we can work together and we should because we are making video games and it should be fun as much as it can. It should be kind as much as it can and it should be inclusive as much as it can. And I really, really do believe we can do this. And what I'm excited about with our own company and hopefully what, what it means to anybody else watching right now is that we can work together in something different and we can work differently on something better. And I think that that's both the hope for ourselves and the hope for everybody else. So with that, thank you for, for hearing us out. That's our story. We'll see, we'll see how it ends. Um, but I'm happy to answer any questions from, from folks. I see there's already a couple coming in and yeah, that's we, us. We don't, we don't talk about 2020, Kim. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look at even when Dia pulled like pictures, I was like, oh no, we can't. <laughs> no, we just don't. It's, it's funny how we'll look at something that happened and it's like, oh my God, that was so long ago. And it wasn't, it was like 2019, yep. but 2020 just seems to have taken on like a it decade. Was, it was and, a very yeah. long set of years, 2020. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, all right. So we've got questions and I've got a bunch more written down because 
there is an absolute correlation, and I didn't realize it until you started talking about this, between how you all started and how the Powell group started, because it was one of those, there were several of us that weren't, get, we weren't getting jobs because we were too old, basically. And we were just like, okay, well, why don't we just like work together and freelance this shit? And that's yep. the advantage is yes, we're old and we're not able to get a lot of these jobs that we're applying for. And it's a little frustrating when a 22 year old with no experience gets it and we don't, but you can build a hell of a consulting team with a bunch of like old people that can't get jobs anywhere else. Um, so anyway, how do you consider neurodiversity when thinking of inclusion? All the time. As being neurodivergent myself, it's something that we're, we're always thinking about. And I think that the way that we approach it is both from a content perspective where we're thinking about how we portray these things, how we think about, you know, conversations, portrayals of, of neurodiverse people, but also through the way that we work and the understanding that like neurodiverse people need to and must work differently. And the hard part about that, I think, is always being an advocate to to teams who don't necessarily understand that. By far the hardest part of our job is is not the internal stuff and and, and the work itself. It is dealing with clients who have always worked a certain way before now and trying to say, hey, if you want to make something better and richer and more interesting, you might have to work a little differently and working differently is going to scare you very, very much for a little while. And that fear is normal and okay, but trust, but you need to counter it with the trust that we're going to land it. And I think that for, yeah, for myself, I, I think that a lot, frankly, a lot of this is, is, is structured for a neurodivergent team because part of it is like having, even just having a space that is sweet baby to come back from a meeting with. We often have like, like if we're in a, a meeting, a particularly challenging meeting, especially, we will have like a little thread that we're talking in to kind of, you know, take our notes and, and, and talk and also to vent and to go, wait a second, is that wild? And to me, one of the biggest, impo most important things about just like having a, a, a team together is being able to say, okay, is everybody seeing what I'm seeing? And am I feeling this? And even when we've worked with um, like some folks who have worked contract with us who aren't marginalized, who come into this, who come into the space, what their biggest point is like, hey, this is really helping to preserve my brain because working alone and working in embedded in these places, I start, I start to question my own, I, I start to feel kind of gaslit by it. I start to question my own beliefs. And just having that solidarity is how we really, really think about it. And then for as far as like, inclusion in, in characters and in stories that's just something that like is a case-by-case -case basis depending on like the specificity of that neurodiversity I, i'm still firmly convinced that us as the neurodiverse people are in the vast majority in this industry and oh yeah it, it's the people that don't have these issues are the yes. ones that i worry about the ones like, they're also conveniently too too often making the production plans and i'm like wait a second no we can work differently this is, we don't do plans yeah we, exactly we procrastinate and then get eight hours yes. of work done in an hour 30 minutes before it's finalized yes that's how we work things well oh actually that's a that's a, a good point yeah, many good points one of the reasons that we we in terms of payment we work on retainers we do like a monthly rate and it's specifically because i know that there's going to be days where i have a script to write and it should take me a week and i do it in one hour yes. but then there's also going to be scripts that should take me one hour and i do it in a week but as long as it gets done by the deadline that's what's but that's what matters so kind of baking in that flexibility and not holding people down to like a certain number of hours that they have to self-report has been hugely i think freeing for us as a team especially one who have different work methodologies and, and that's that's what we do here it, it, it's like i you know i tell new people on the team i'm like i don't you're, i'm not sitting you down and telling you you have to work 40 hours a week i don't give a shit yep you know it, it's like is the work getting done and is it getting done well I don't care when you do it. And I was like, exactly. the, other, the other thing is you're going to get messages from me on the weekend. I do not expect you to answer them until Monday, but this is my way of getting stuff out of my head. Yep. And so, but it, it's, it's something that works much better in a, for a, for a firm like this, where everyone is independent than it does. If you have to come in and go, okay, we'll get your work done from eight until five. And then, yeah. Cause the, the work is, is the work happens in here, but it's meant for out there. And, and that line of division is so crucial where it's like, we just have to make sure that it looks like we're meeting those deadlines and we actually meet them and, and we're taking care of each other internally and making sure we're accountable to each other more so 
than just the client every time individually. I have like so many questions and we have like five minutes left. Um, all right. So let's get the the, the two that are, are right here, not the ones on the half a page that I scribbled down. This is one of the biggest questions that I see in our Discord and people in general all the time. And as an English major, I absolutely love it because we're having more people come in on the narrative side. They don't know where to get started. though. So how do I get started as a new narrative designer trying to get into the industry? So I would say um, the first the first place you're going to want to start is getting a portfolio. So that is a, a good way to begin. The tip I'll give for that, though, is is thinking about a portfolio, not as just a collection of, of great writing, but a, a demonstration of your understanding of games writing and games narrative. And the thing I always, that it's going to sound frustrating, but I will explain it, is like, it's often about, it's about the words you don't write, but it's more like you'll be, if you kind of come to me with like, I've got this great cutscene idea and it's 10 pages long and has 15 characters in it it might be really, really well written, but what I'll see in it is that's probably not how that cutscene's gonna gonna shake out. And it also shows that like, you're not necessarily aware of the constraints that might exist on a video game project. So working with constraints, thinking about structure is really, really important to building that portfolio. Um, making little games, like I think a lot of, there are a lot of narrative designers, especially who go like, well, I just make twine games, I'm not a real game developer. You are, yes, <laughs> believe you in are. yourself. Yeah, you are a game developer. You're making a game, put it out into the world. And then also, yeah make another one don't feel like if your first 10 don't hit or your don't or your first 10 don't mean anything quote to yeah. to people don't stop there you have to keep going because you're going to learn so much like if, even in i worked five years before sweet baby five years at sweet baby and i've learned so much more just by doing different things by working on smaller projects some projects that were only on for like a couple months i still learned an enormous amount it's just worth doing those reps and also i think becoming part of communities going to talks like this talking to people afterwards and kind of not i would i would say that what i would look for is not mentorship ongoing because that's a really hard ask for a lot of people but if you can grab some folks time for even like 30 minutes and 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 make it like a significant moment where you go okay this is what i'm looking for this is how i want to do it i think that's really really crucial and then also of course write to talk at sweetbabyinc.com and we, we're happy to chat with you we're happy to kind of give you more of a, of a, of a personal take on, on 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 what you're up to and and do all of that all right, one more, and then I'm going to chunk the rest of these that I have over in the Discord. So if you're out there and you want to, you know, hear more, uh, I can attest I have worked with Sweet Baby Inc. And I am a little disappointed that the game, the name did not come from the barbecue sauce that is fantastic. But <laughs> we learned about um, it after. <laughs> I'm, yeah, we're, Can we're Canadian. We don't even have to have it up here, unfortunately. I'm, it's all right. I'll, I'll let it go. Um, all right. The last one for the Discord is, I love this model. Is it adaptable to indie teams? And if so, how would you structure it? I believe it I, is. Yeah, it is. It is. I, yeah. I, 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 I think it's it, it's only a matter of like how you, like so much of what Kim said in, in, in the chat is like learning to uh, understand how your teammates work and, and structuring a project around how those people work. Like when we did the Playdate games, we structured them, I think, in a way that's similar to how we work at Sweet Baby. Like, we had to fit making a game into our contract work. And so what we did is we said, we'll, we'll, we'll structure this production pipeline at five hours a week. Everybody should give five hours a week, and we won't ask anybody to, like, crunch for 40 hours at the end and make a bunch of, you know, levels or art assets or audio or anything. We'll just say, we're going to keep the pace five hours a week on this project, and we should get to a point where we have a game we're able to ship at the end. And that allowed every single person on this project, both the freelancers and the internal Sweet Baby people, to kind of like figure out how they would best work together. And then we had a weekly meeting. We just like caught up with each other and, and went like on cam, hey, how's it going? Work through problems and everything. And we, you know, this is how we've, we've made four games at this point. Um, so I believe it's 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 all about understanding everybody's individual reality and not necessarily holding them accountable to a specific production plan that is inflexible. It's really about making things modular, making things um, flexible, and understanding that the best output comes from people who understand each other and what they are into and what they want to make. I would also add that for me, the the way of thinking that even that Jay you just mentioned is kind of like thinking about. There is, there is work that is the external 
quality. And then there is the work that we do, which is internal. And I think that for me, it's always about going, okay, our work as a company is all of our collective responsibility. <laughs> it is it is going to be led like, and it should also, one of the most important things for us is also thinking about it as an inverted pyramid, where if there is if there is something that has to be done, that's like, oh no, we have to work a little bit of extra time. Oh no, something's gone wrong. That has to fall on leadership. It cannot fall on the employees. We have to say like, we are responsible for this. We are gonna be the faces of any failure. We're gonna be the faces of any mistakes. And we're gonna own that for our team to ensure that like we are safe. And that we are always thinking about like, we as a team are responsible to that work, but that is not the most important thing. That is just what we have to do to stay alive. There has to be a separation between the idea of like, we need money to continue to exist, but we have to exist among each other. And for me, thinking about it that way and going like, how do we, it, it also means that we have to kind of take on different roles sometimes. We have to think about like, hey, if someone's kind of flagging, who can help them? How do we, how do we all, all do it? Because ultimately, like, we don't want to have that like, oh, it's the individual's fault that this went wrong. It's like, no, 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 we're all here together. We'll all figure out these things. We're all accountable for these, for these ideas. And that for me is, is, is at the core. But I'm, I'd be happy uh, to have asked this question to talk more about it more specifically, like, if you ever want to have a chat about it because it's a model that I'm so passionate about because it has allowed us in many times to have to hold more boundaries with clients to be able to have a little bit more negotiating power and to be able to keep a team feeling protected and safe and I I will I will talk to anybody who would like to create something like this for as long as you would like so <laughs> please feel free to write to us and I, I am happy to do that talk it's one of the beauties of our jobs as the owners and people in charge is we get to be the shield the buffer for yep. the rest of our team and i've been bad cop enough on enough projects that i don't yep. mind it all the time so it's it is but please keep doing what you're doing because you all do fantastic work and i am so happy to see all the success that you've had thank you we've got questions i'm going to pop them over if you've got more questions for Kim and David, pop them in the post-session chat in the Discord, and I'm going to kick it over to Dan, and we've got our next talk from Pontus coming up in just a moment. So Thanks, much. everybody. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.